Beloved, all grace, mercy, and peace be yours and mine from God and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel text today, our scripture for this morning, is frequently read at funerals, and for good reason. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. Oh no, it didn't say mansions today. Did you hear what it said? Dwelling places. I shared at our table talk on Thursday night that when my grandmother came into the last weeks of her life, she fell and broke her hip and she went to the hospital on Palm Sunday morning. And I raced to the hospital to see her and she took one look at me and she, she asked what I was doing there. And I said, well, Grandma, you, you fell and broke your hip. She goes, it's Palm Sunday, you have to work. I said, no, 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 I need to be here with you. And she said, get out of here. But when I went to visit her after service, we had a conversation about perhaps what was coming and how it was that she was facing that. And she said, Billy, because that's what she called me, Billy, I have to tell you, now is the time. I said, why is that? And she goes, because I have been raised on the scriptures. And my favorite is from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. She said, the problem is, I grew up on the King James. And in the King James, we had many mansions. And then we went uh, to many rooms. And then we came to many dwelling places. She said, it sounds like heaven is filling up and I want to get there before I get a cell. <laughs> but why did my grandmother love this so much? Because this scripture contains so much that, so many promises that are profoundly comforting in so many times in our lives. Not just at the time of death. And the challenge for us who have heard this at funerals so many times over is that Jesus is not only speaking about a promise after death, Jesus is speaking about a promise of life today. You have to remember the setting for what was happening here. Jesus was giving a farewell address at the Last Supper with his disciples. This comes shortly after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, explained to them what this means, had foretold his betrayal by Judas, and Judas had slipped out into the night. He has told his disciples that he's only going to be with them a little while longer, and where he is going, they cannot come. He has also said that Peter would deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. It's no wonder the disciples are in trouble. It's no wonder that they're having troubled hearts because their beloved, their teacher is leaving them. One of their own has turned against them. Their stalwart leader among the disciples is said to be on the cusp of a great failure of loyalty. The whole ground is shifting beneath their feet. And Jesus meets their anxiety by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
Jesus calls them back to this fundamental relationship of trust and assures them he is not abandoning them. As he returns to the Father, he suggests this is good news. That he's going to prepare a place for them and for us, and we will be with him and dwell with him forever, even as he is with us and dwells in us and through us all of our days. Now that sounds real good. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But sometimes those words don't seem enough. My wife deals with crippling anxiety. And sometimes, without any rhyme or reason, that anxiety wells up in her and she becomes a little overwhelmed by her circumstances. And when you throw strangers into the mix, it doesn't make it much better. Well, I was a young husband, we were newly married, and I remember one time my wife was having a bit of an attack right before a goal family reunion. Have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? Well, the Greek wedding and the Italian side of the Gold family can be a little overwhelming. And I remember saying to my wife, in what I thought was a very cooing and comforting voice, sweetheart, don't be anxious. And she turned at me and snapped and said, don't be fat! Did that help, William? And of course, we know that sometimes words are not enough. My suspicion is, even as Jesus was telling the disciples to not let their hearts be troubled, their hearts were still fairly troubled. But Jesus doesn't leave them with words of comfort. He tells them, this is how you'll know. You'll see. Watch. Even as I go to the cross, watch and see, because at the cross, we learn about who God is and how God acts. It will not be the last word. Was that enough for the disciples? No. Thomas, like most of the characters in the gospel, takes Jesus quite literally when he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas comes back and says, Lord, we do not know a way. We want directions. We want a roadmap. We want GPS coordinates. And Jesus responds to him by saying, come on, man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except but by me. Now sometimes, unfortunately, that verse gets yanked out of our scripture and used as a trump card, as a threat, to tell people that they better get with the program and get right with God before it's too late. 
And while I appreciate and feel an evangelical urgency that all the world should know the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus wasn't using this to clobber Thomas. He was using it to assure him, to comfort him. It's a promise. Jesus himself is all that they need. Jesus himself is all that we need. And there's no need to panic, no need to search desperately for some secret map. Because Jesus adds, if you know me, you will know my Father also, so that there can be no misunderstanding. And when they still seem anxious, he says, from now on you do know, and you have seen. Everything seemed like it was going well, except now Philip jumps in, and he's not quite convinced. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And even in that, Jesus seems a little exasperated. Philip, haven't I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because this is the whole of Jesus' mission. To make known and reveal the very heart of God. To make known and reveal who God is. Jesus, who has come from the bosom of the Father and is now returning there, is the fullest revelation of the person and character and heart of God. And if we want to know God, if we want to know who God is, we need look no further than Jesus. Because all of the words Jesus has spoken, all of the works, all of the miracles, everything he has done comes from God and shows us God. And that promise has everything to do with the here and now. Because Jesus is entrusting to his disciples of every time and every place the mission to continue. How does he say it? Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. And for those disciples and for those of us disciples sitting in this room, sometimes those words, that promise is a little hard to swallow. Greater works than these, Jesus? Really? Greater works than healing the blind and raising the dead? You'll do whatever we ask in your name? It's tough because all of us, all of us have known the pain of praying for healing that did not come. A feeling powerless in the face of disease and death. And we, like Thomas and Philip, wonder how can these promises be true? But perhaps our problem is this, that in hearing these promises, we expect to do these greater works in the same way that Jesus did them, with miraculous power and instant, instant results that solve 
the problem we perceive that is at hand. But even miracles. Miracles are not guaranteed to produce faith. Because many in John's gospel who witness the signs, the miracles, the healing, the resurrection... They have still trouble seeing the work of God that is right there before their eyes. How many times have we prayed for one miracle and seen another one come to pass? How many times have we prayed for a physical healing and seen a spiritual one happen? How many times have we prayed for something and then been shocked when it actually happened? Sometimes we're looking for something and yet the miracle is still happening. The work of God is right there before our eyes. Ultimately, our gospel reminds us that Jesus is with us. And that through the promise and the power of the Spirit, Jesus works in us and through us to accomplish God's purpose for this world that God still so loves. And this doesn't necessarily happen in easily visible or even sometimes spectacular ways. Yet, whenever there is healing, whenever there is reconciling, life-giving work is happening. It is not us, but God who works in us and through us. Whenever and wherever there is abundance, life in abundance in this world, that is a sign, a reminder, the promise of Jesus' presence in our midst. Friends, Jesus has made known the heart of God, and he has entrusted the mission of making known to us. Where do you see? Where do you see Jesus' work and presence in our midst? How is it that we might show others the very heart of God with our words for sure, but with our deeds. May God be in God's promise and these questions which rest in our hearts, that we would make God known together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh-oh, that's okay. I know what it is. You're upset because the sermon is over. People have that feeling. I'm glad that you gave voice to that. Thank you. Friends with glad hearts, let us join our hearts and our voices in praise of God in song.